0: Well, let's turn in our Bible, shall we, to Revelation 17. If you need a copy of God's Word, just get the attention of one of the ushers and they will certainly get one into your hands. Revelation chapter 17. We're studying the book of Revelation, of course, to know what to expect in the days to come and hold fast. Hold fast. Particularly in the days of the Great Tribulation, that brief period of time at the end of this age when God judges the world. Just before his return, Great Tribulation. And having covered the last of God's judgments in chapter 16, we're given some more detail about all of it in chapters 17, 18, and 19. More detail, specifically so in chapters 17 and 18, on the rise and fall of Babylon the Great. The rise and fall of Babylon. We first saw Babylon mentioned, of course, back in chapter 14, prophesying its fall, prophesying even in the book of Revelation. And then we saw in chapter 16 that Babylon was spoken of, that its fall was spoken of. Just two verses, one in chapter 14 and one in chapter 16. But in chapters 17 and 18, the proverbial floodgates Open. And so we're going to spend several weeks here because there's so much to see, so much to apply, and so many parallels with the state of things today. So many. I'm only going to cover verses 1 to 6 in this sermon, but I'm going to refer to verses in both chapters 17 and 18. So you're going to want to keep your finger on the text as always and follow along with me verses 1 to 6 then and John says after his vision of the bowl judgments that is then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me come i will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality And with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit, which is another way of saying that he had a vision from God. He carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, a a place of spiritual barrenness, which is entirely appropriate, as we'll see. The angel carried me away in the spirit into a, a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. Barrenness. Verse 4, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Let's start with this. The great prostitute is Babylon the Great. The great prostitute that John sees here in this vision is Babylon the great. They're one and the same. One and the same. After the angel says in verse 1, check it out there, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute. John then says in verse 5, on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the great. The great prostitute is the great Babylon. Verse 1, verse 5. Great prostitute is the great Babylon, one and the same. And it's a mystery, not in the sense, a mystery there in verse 5, do you see it? It's a mystery, not in the sense that we can't understand it, but that there's more than meets the eye. Wow, isn't that the understatement of the day when it comes to Revelation? There's more than meets the eye. And just to make sure that we don't miss it, At the end of chapter, uh, at the end of chapter 17 in verse 18, skip down there, the angel says, and the woman that you saw is, referring to the great prostitute, the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. The great city referring to Babylon the great like we saw in chapter 16 verse 19. Where it says, the great city, ding, 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 the great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and God remembered Babylon the great, synonymous with the great city, to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. Connect all those dots, verse 1, verse 5, verse 18, and chapter 16, and the great prostitute is one and the same as Babylon The great. I hope you see it. Don't be confused. The great prostitute and Babylon the great are one and the same. Don't be confused. God simply uses two metaphors to describe one thing. He uses Babylon because of its hedonism and sexual immorality and a prostitute because she's always trying to seduce people to join her, seduce people to participate in the ways of Babylon the Great. Babylon, remember, was the sin city of the ancient world, 600 years before Christ, known so much for its sexual immorality that over the centuries it became shorthand for it. If you said Babylon, you said sex. If you said Babylon, you said hedonism. It was known for it. Plus, it was the most powerful nation on the earth at the time. A nation, catch this, a nation that rose in the course of history, a nation that took people captive, and then a nation that fell. Rose, took people captive, and then fell, just like Babylon the Great will do in the Great tribulation. It's a fitting metaphor. But then, then, it's going to be far worse. It's not going to be just like the Babylon of old. It's going to be multiples worse than the Babylon of old. It's going to be like a great prostitute as well. The mother of prostitutes, it says in verse 5. Did you catch that? It's going to be the mother of prostitutes. That is, it's going to be the source of all seduction and the source of all abomination, all the sinfulness, all the disgrace abomination, singing her siren song and flaunting her wares in a last-ditch effort to drag the world down and hold it captive to her spell. That's the idea of the great prostitute. She's going, in a last-ditch effort in the Great Tribulation, she's going to sing her siren song and flaunt her wares to drag more and more people down to the depths of hell forever and ever. Two metaphors instead of one. Don't be confused. Don't be confused. They're one and the same. The great prostitute is Babylon the Great, and Babylon the Great is the great prostitute because it takes two such metaphors to describe all that it's about. And what it's about is a worldwide culture. Both the prostitute and Babylon represent a worldwide culture of debauchery, luxury, and persecution. That's it. Both the prostitute and the city represent a worldwide culture of debauchery, luxury, and persecution. They represent a culture, a culture described in detail in chapter 18. A culture that buys and sells, a culture that marries and buries, a a culture that plays and trades all over the world. It's a worldwide culture, this thing that Babylon and the prostitute are intended to describe. Lock that in. It's not describing a woman. It's using a woman prostitute to describe a culture. It's not just describing a city. It's using a sinful city to describe a worldwide culture. And it's a culture of debauchery because, well, it's referred to as a great prostitute. Someone who indulges in sinful sexual pleasure. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Come, the angel said, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute, here it is, who is seated on many waters, or in bed with the whole world. That's the idea of seated, and that's the idea of many waters, Like John says in verse 15. Skip down to verse 15. I'll show you. Because John shows us. Because the angel showed him. Because God showed the angel. In other words, it's from the Lord. What you see in the Bible is from the Lord. Verse 15 says, And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw, referring back to verses 1 and 2, the waters that you saw, where the prostitute is seated, a.k.a. indulged, Established in bed with the waters that you saw are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So the Great Tribulation is going to be characterized by a worldwide culture of debauchery, a worldwide culture of debauchery. I don't know about you, but previous to studying Revelation, I always thought of the Great Tribulation just as a time of persecution. Just. Just as a time of like physical persecution. That's part of it for sure. We've seen it. We'll see it here actually in a few minutes. But it's also a massive worldwide culture of sin, sexual immorality, and debauchery, including None other than the leaders of the world, worldwide leaders. Looking back to verse 1. I will show you the judgment, the angel says, of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Here it is with whom the kings of the earth, the world's leaders, have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the influence. The dwellers on earth have become drunk. They too will indulge. So from leaders, worldwide leaders, to followers, worldwide followers, a worldwide culture of sex and debauchery will run rampant in the great tribulation. John spends two full chapters on it here. This this isn't something that's like, well, kind of open to interpretation or something like that. This is as blatant and as straightforward as it gets People will drink the wine of lust and sexual promiscuity and sexual deviance with abandon. No limits and no inhibitions. Hence, the vision of a great prostitute to describe it. The mother of prostitutes, this culture. It's a personification of what's going to be the reality. But debauchery is only one aspect of it. It's also going to be accompanied by luxury as well. Luxury as well. Look at chapter 18 on this one, verse 3. Chapter 18, maybe turn a page, verse 3. An angel in verse 2 makes an announcement that Babylon has fallen, looking at it past tense. It says Babylon has fallen and then says, In verse 3, for all nations have drunk, there's another worldwide aspect, for all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth, here it is, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living, her luxurious living. Not only will the culture encourage sexual indulgence, but material indulgence. So that people will accumulate more and more and more for themselves. Living as high on the hog as they possibly can. Is that still an expression? Thank you. People will live as high in the hog as they possibly can in the great tribulation. No regard for others and no regard for God. Greed will be good and more will be better. Live it up. Who cares about anyone else will be the unspoken mantra that is pervasive throughout. Or maybe even the spoken mantra. It's going to be that blatant. This culture of rampant Luxury. Rampant opulence, rampant extravagance. Going to greater and greater lengths to satisfy something that can never, ever be satisfied by material things. That's the second aspect of the culture. And then third is going to be a culture of persecution. What we normally associate with great tribulation times persecution. Like John says in verse 6, back to chapter 17, he says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Uh, The martyrs of Jesus, literally the witnesses to Jesus. Those who hold fast and keep the faith. Many of them are going to be killed. Perhaps many of us, if we're still around, when the events of the great tribulation begin to ensue. It's going to be persecution at its worst. And to affirm it is the end of chapter 18, verse 24. The end of the chapter and the end of the world's lament over the fall of Babylon. You can imagine the lament over the fall of Babylon after they indulge so much. I get ahead of myself here. But at the end of that chapter, the end of the lament, verse 24, the angel says, And in her, in Babylon the great, was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. Listen, we've seen persecution before in the book of Revelation, haven't we? We've seen it, in fact, on the part of the Antichrist and false prophet, Explicitly so. But here, here... On top of that, on top of the persecution that those two figures bring, here it's the culture itself exacting a toll. Here it's the culture itself bringing persecution to the table. From our neighbors and co-workers to our friends and acquaintances. Culture. Whoever's bothered by how we live and what we believe Whoever is upset that their suffering is worse than ours in the great tribulation. Whoever hates our joy in the midst of it all. Whoever despises our hope in Jesus, the one they despise. Whoever hates our confidence in the future. Just like now, we are going to be the aroma of life in the great tribulation to those who are being saved, praise the Lord. But we're also going to be the aroma of death to those who are perishing. Just like now. Except then, near the end of the great tribulation, the restraints will be loosed and the inhibitions gone. And they're going to take it out on us. They're going to take that aroma of death that they smell and can't get away from out on us. Or try to. And it's going to lead to more and more persecution and murder. Martyrdom from our perspective. That's the atmosphere that we should expect in the Great Tribulation. A culture of debauchery, luxury, and persecution. A culture, frankly, that's already started. Both the prostitute and Babylon represent this culture. And you need only look around to realize that it's already started. The rise of Babylon has already begun. The prostitute is present. It's not just in the tribulation. It's now. Oh, if you miss everything else in this message, do not miss this. The rise has begun. She's on the scene. Just listen to these six stats that I pulled off the internet this week. There are 42 million porn sites on the internet with 370 million pages of porn. If you live to the age of 70, starting at the age of 10, I think I figured that you'd have to go through some 14,000 pages a day to cover it all. And, and, And that's as of three years ago, 2020. I don't think any of us would say it's gotten better. Number 2, the porn industry's annual revenue. Annual revenue is more than the NFL, NBA and MLB combined. She's here. Number 3, 47% almost half of families in the US reported that pornography is a problem in their home. And I believe that numbers like that are far higher because I don't think most people are entirely honest in surveys about it. Number four, 56% of American divorces, 56% of divorces in our country involve one party having an obsessive interest in porn. Babylon is here. Number five, 55% of married men and 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. Number six, 68% of church going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. God help us. The culture of debauchery has already started. And that doesn't even include promiscuity, adultery, homosexuality, polyamory, and transgenderism, and all the other newfound names of newfound debauchery. that's going on. Doesn't even include that. I mean, it's here. It's here. And I think that this is the biggest reason this already started rise of the mother of prostitutes in the great Babylon. I I think that it's the biggest reason that the end times are near. The biggest. I don't know how near they are. It could be years, it could be decades. But of all the indicators that we find in the Bible to warn of its coming, I think this one is blaring the loudest and the clearest. And the sooner we see it for what it is, with all of its danger and evil, the better we'll avoid it and the more we'll hate it. The more will hate it. Which is important because it's not going to get better and it's not going to get easier to avoid. The same is true of luxury, opulence, extravagance. I mean the cultural desire and expectation, check me on this, the cultural desire and even expectation of getting more and doing less is rampant. Yes? It's become a culture, not just a cultural hope, it's become a cultural expectation that I can get more and more and more even if I do less and less and less. To the point where I can live like myself perceived mucky mucks. It's rampant. As is Spending more and giving less. People are making more than they ever have in this country in in its 200-plus year history. And people are giving less than they ever have as a percentage of their income in this 200-plus year history. People have more and more to spend, and they're spending it on themselves, extravagantly and exclusively. Not that it's wrong to spend money and enjoy some of the things that God has given you. I am not saying that whatsoever. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father of lights. But if you do that, if you spend because you're discontent in life, if you spend more and more on yourself to get more and more things or have more and more experiences because you're discontent in life, or you indulge in luxury at at the expense of blessing others, or it's beyond the realm of living in the middle of our culture, it is wrong. Then the spending is wrong. Then the enjoyment is wrong. Not only does God bless us to bless others, His design and desire is that we would live neither rich nor poor, neither rich and forget God, it says in Proverbs 30, verses 7 to 9, Or pour and curse him. That's God's design. That we would live in the middle of our culture. For his glory. And the blessing of others around us. Especially so the work of ministry. And all that the Lord is doing through the gospel. His desire that we would live in the middle of it. And give him all the credit as we steward all that he's given us. Far, far from a place or a desire for luxury. The point being, luxury is a cultural trend that's already here, and it's getting worse by the day. And third, so is persecution, for which one statistic says it all. There have been more Christians killed for their faith in the last 100 years than in the previous 1900 combined. More. Confirming beyond a shadow of a doubt that the worldwide culture of debauchery, luxury, and persecution has already started. So whatever you do, don't be naive. Don't be naive to any of this. I don't think you are. I think I'm preaching to the choir. But if you're anything like me, you need to re-hear it every now and then. You You need to wipe the dust off the etching, to make sure that you can see it so clear and explicitly. Don't be gullible. Don't be foolish. See this culture for what it is and avoid it like the plague. See it for what it is and check your heart. See it for what it is and stand firm. Because in the Great Tribulation, the Antichrist will use the prostitute to influence the world. The Antichrist will use The prostitute to influence the world. In other words, he'll use the culture to influence the culture because a culture of sex, greed, and fear has immense influence on people, doesn't it? It does, both individually and corporately. A culture of sex, greed, and fear works wonders for the prostitute. And it seems that in the Great Tribulation, the Antichrist will use it to accomplish his purposes of control and worship. That seems to be the implication here. That the Antichrist is going to use the prostitute to accomplish his own purposes of control and worship. Look at verse 3. And he carried me away in the spirit, John says, of the angel into a wilderness... And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and it had seven heads and ten horns. That's the Antichrist, just like we saw back in chapter 13, full of irreverent and ungodly names or blasphemous labels. We don't know exactly what those labels and names are. Maybe they they include attributing to himself what only belongs to Jesus, you know, titles like Lord and Savior and Deliverer and so on. Whatever the case, the great prostitute is not only in bed with the world and its leaders, she's in bed with the Antichrist. She's in bed with the Antichrist himself. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. The Antichrist, scarlet beast. And no wonder, like no wonder, she has everything he wants and she's eager to give it. This worldwide culture of debauchery. She has everything the Antichrist wants and she's eager to give it with plenty left over to satisfy satisfy and influence the world. Plus, verse 4 indicates that she's attractive, full of abominations, and overflowing with impurity. Everything that an utterly depraved person like the Antichrist yearns for. Look at verse 4. Everything he yearns for. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. Colors of opulence and splendor in John's day. She was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. In other words, she's attractive, she's desirable, and she's flashy. Holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality, a golden cup to make what's disgusting look nice, seem shiny, more desirable, a cup full of disgraceful corruption and all manner of unbiblical sexuality, things that can lead you down a rabbit hole from which you never ever come out. It's full of those sort of things. So not only does he use her, but she uses him to drag him down as he drags others down. A match made in hell, if there ever was one. The Antichrist and the worldwide culture of debauchery, persecution, and luxury. And how better to influence the world? How better to influence people like ourselves who have an overwhelming desire, lust for things that they shouldn't? How better to influence people like that? I mean, cloud their thinking with a great big brothel Participate yourself to condone it, like the Antichrist will, and then demand their worship. You provide them with the brothel, participate yourself, and then demand their worship and threaten to withhold the brothel if they don't give the worship. Or to say it another way, expand the opportunities for lust and sex in order to... Influence the world, expand the opportunities for lust and sex, cultivate the desire for money and more, and then threaten to withhold it all unless they give you their allegiance with a mark. It fits, doesn't it? And it's the oldest play in the book. The oldest play in the book. Entice somebody with the drug of sex and they'll do just about anything from divulging state secrets to worshiping a beast. That's how much influence the great prostitute has. Like it says in verse 18, skip down there again. The woman, it says, has dominion. You see it? She has dominion over the kings of the earth, as in power, control, like a mistress holds sway over her lover because he's so drunk with her passion. And shrewd as the Antichrist is, he will use that influence to influence the world. Don't be surprised. That's the point. We're given these things in the book of Revelation so that we know what to expect in the great tribulation and not be surprised. Listen, listen, holding fast in the great tribulation is not just going to be a matter of enduring suffering or withstanding the persecution. It's going to involve resisting a life of luxury and fleeing temptation. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. See it for all that it is. Be ready for all that's coming. And don't be surprised at the power of such a culture to adversely influence the masses. Eat. Even the church. Don't be surprised at the power of such a culture which is already on the rise to adversely influence the masses. Look at the last few years. Just think about the last few years for a second. I mean, the world is losing its mind. Literally losing its mind. From a rampant attitude of entitlement to hyper-victimhood and fear. Blatant promiscuity to cutting off body parts. Changing history to literally rewriting books. Leaving church to leaving God. We are living a dystopian reality. It's no longer just something in the movies out there that we watched years ago. We're living a dystopian reality that someday is going to turn into a dystopian apocalypse. Babylon is on the rise and so is her power to influence. And by the way, if you want to know what dystopian means, I just described it to you. We're living it. It's where people change history and change books. It's where people run around with all kinds of fear and hyper-entitlement and hyper-victimhood. It's it's where wrong is called right and right is called wrong, even by the President of the United States. That's what dystopian means. Babylon is on the rise, and so is her power to influence. So, whatever you do, don't be surprised. See it for what it is and steer clear. Smell the battle. And fight the good fight, always sober and always vigilant to hold fast and keep the faith. Let's pray. God, we so much need your help in these things. We so much need your help individually. God, you know I need your help. And we need your help as a church, Lord, to band together and hold together and encourage one another as long as it's called today so that our hearts don't become influenced or hardened by the deceit of sin, influenced or hardened by the deceit of culture that is so contrary to you. God, help us. Forgive our sins, Lord, and purify our lives. Give us eyes to see and hearts to understand more and more. And most of all, God, keep us from stumbling. Oh, Lord, hem us in. Guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus as only you can do. Guide and direct our steps in the way everlasting is only you can do. We want to live for you, Lord. We want to live for you, we pray. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.